the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. So listen, if you have any love in your heart, for believers, and you demonstrate this love even though you fail so many times, then you know you're saved because you could not do this at all unless the Holy Spirit was in you, empowering you to live this way. Back in the early 30s, there was a Louisiana State University boxer called Big Boy Blaylock who was six foot six inches tall. He was boxing a stocky fellow from Mississippi State. In the second round, Big Boy let loose with a mighty roundhouse, but the not-so-tall Mississippi State boxer stepped inside it, and his head caught Big Boy's arm above the elbow. While with the opponent's head acting as a fulcrum, Big Boy's fist swung around full circle, and he caught himself on his own chin. He grabbed the rope, staggered most of the way around the ring, and then fell to the mat for the count. Big Boy may have been the only boxer in history to knock himself out, But don't we sometimes KO ourselves when we allow our spiritual failures to lead to discouragement and defeat? Hi, welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today we have come to the conclusion of our series of lessons about how to recognize the children of God. If you've missed some of the programs, keep listening at the end of our broadcast, and I'll tell you how you can download them all and catch up. As we've studied 1 John chapter 3 over the past few weeks, We've seen that John offered three objective tests we can use to assure ourselves that we do indeed have eternal life. One is our doctrine. Do we know who Jesus is, why he died, and do we trust in that payment for our sin? Second is our behavior. Has there been a change in our lives such that we desire to obey God, even though we still sin from time to time? The third test is our love for other Christians. Do we actively demonstrate our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ? We're not always very good at that, however, and sometimes our failures can be discouraging if we let them, even to the point of feeling like we're not really saved. Here's Pastor Steve to tell us more. Now, the way John presents this is by teaching us that loving the brethren assures us of our salvation in three specific ways. He just really approaches salvation from a number of of angles. We've already looked at two of these ways. I'll quickly review and then move on to the third one, and we'll finish the chapter up. First of all, he says, loving the brethren assures us that we are of the truth. Being of the truth simply means that we have been born again. We owe our origin spiritually to the truth of the gospel. We heard it. We believed. Even prior to that, the Lord regenerated us, and we responded to the truth. He assures us that we are of the truth even when our own hearts convict us of not showing love like we should. Notice verses 19 and 20. We will know by this, he means by this love, that we are of the truth and will assure our hearts before him and whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Now, we spend considerable time going over this, but essentially, 
what John is saying is, if when you love, you assure yourself that you do love the brethren, deficient as it might be. And when you don't love, and your heart, probably here meaning your conscience, yells at you that's wrong, it condemns you, you don't listen to your conscience in the sense that you let that condemnation destroy you spiritually. God's word about no condemnation to those who are in Christ is greater than our hearts condemning us. Your heart rises up and says, that's wrong. God's word rises up and says, yes, that's wrong, but there's no condemnation in Christ. And I I know all about you and all about your sin, and it has been placed on my son. So loving the brethren assures us that we are of the truth even when we are convicted of sin. Now, once again, let me clarify. John is not saying disregard conviction. Yes, confess it. Repent of it. But don't listen to it in the sense that you feel condemned that you're not a believer because you don't love as you should. None of us do. But God's word is greater than what our hearts tell us in terms of condemning us because God's word says we're not condemned in Christ. Secondly, loving the brethren assures us not only that we are of the truth, but it assures us of answered prayer. And by answered prayer, he's talking here about God only answers the prayers of his children, that if God is answering your prayers, you're a believer. He says, notice in verses 21 and 22, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, We have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Once we have resolved this issue of our hearts condemning us, and I take it that's what John means, you've resolved it by choosing to listen to God's word even when we are convicted of our sin of not being as loving as we should, then John says we have boldness to come into the presence of our heavenly father and speak to God freely in prayer, with the assurance that he'll answer our prayers that are in his will. Now, we went over this. How do we pray according to the will of God? We pray according to the will of God based on what the word of God says. There's enough in the word of God about the will of God that we don't have to be lost and floundering in our prayers. And John's point is that God answers the prayers of those who are saved, those who know his will because they keep his will, meaning they keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. We very well know the word of God and that's how we ought to be praying. And if we pray according to what scripture says, then God will answer our prayers. And if God answers our prayers, you know that he's your heavenly father because that's a child's relationship with the father. Now, we want to look at the third and final way that John tells us that loving the brethren assures us of our salvation. Number three, loving the brethren assures us of having an intimate spiritual union with Christ. Just another way of saying we're saved. Verse 23, this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Having just told us in the previous verse that true believers are characterized by keeping God's commandments, John now summarizes, watch this, he summarizes all of God's commandments into one all-inclusive commandment that has two parts. I hope that's not too confusing. He sums up all the commandments of God into one, but that one commandment has two parts. He tells us that his commandment is, number one, that we believe in the name of 
of his son, Jesus Christ. And number two, that we love one another. In other words, there's really one commandment from God that sums up all of his commandments. That is to believe in Christ and to love one another. You see, faith in Christ and love for his people go together. You just can't separate them. Since someone who is regenerated, who is born again, not only believes in Christ, but he also loves the brethren. You cannot find somebody who says, I believe in Christ, but I don't love the brethren. You can't find somebody who says, I love the brethren, but I don't believe in Christ. They, they go together. This is very similar, by the way, to what Jesus said. Remember when that lawyer came up to him, the, the lawyer of the law of Moses, talking about not a secular lawyer, and said, teacher, of all the commandments, what's the greatest? And he said, love God with all of your heart mind, soul, strength. And though this man didn't ask him, he said, the second one is that you love your neighbor as yourself. And that, the Bible says, sums up the whole law. It sums it up. If you want to understand what the law is all about, love God and love your neighbor. That's essentially what John is saying here. John is saying, yes, the law can be summed up like that. You can also sum up all the commandments in scripture by saying, believe in Christ and love other people, love believers in particular. Now, let's consider this in detail. What does John mean when he says believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ? He doesn't just say believe in Christ. He, he, he spells it out for us. There's a reason for that. Now, the way this, this reads in the Greek text is that John is referring, when he says believe, you've believed, at a point in time, not an ongoing Belief, though it is true, we have believed at a point in time and we continue to believe. But he's here talking about a point in time that we came to believe in Christ. In other words, this belief is referring to the time we were saved. When we placed our trust in Christ as our Lord and Savior. And what did we believe when we were saved? John says that we came to believe, which means trust. Belief is simply a synonym for trust. It's not simply head knowledge. Trusting. We trusted. We trusted for our salvation in the name, the name speaks of the entirety of the person, the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Meaning that when we came to the Lord for salvation, we came with the right understanding of who he is. First of all, he is his son. Meaning that we believed that Jesus Christ is God. He is not simply the Son of God. He is God the Son. We have believed that. He's not a lesser God. He is equal. He is deity, equal to the Father in deity, as well as the Holy Spirit. We believe that He is God. That's what we believe. We may not have understood that, but we believe that. Then he said we believed in the name, the name of Jesus. It speaks of Him being fully human. That, That was His earthly name. So we understand that he's fully human. God, but fully man. But the name Jesus also speaks of what he came to earth to do. Remember the angel said, you call him Jesus for he shall save his people from their sin. The name Jesus, or if you want to say it in Hebrew, it would be Yeshua. simply means the Lord's salvation. So we believe that Jesus Christ is fully God, fully human. He came to save us. And then Christ simply means the anointed one, the Messiah. He's the promised Messiah. Listen, when you initially came to faith in Christ, 
You may not have been theologically articulate in all of these truths about Jesus, but you certainly understood the essentials, that he was the God-man and he had died on the cross as your substitutionary sin-bearer. See, there, there is doctrinal content in what we believe about Christ, and that's why when we share the gospel with others and evangelize, we tell them who Christ is. We tell them what he's done on the cross. Nobody could be saved without some doctrinal understanding. John said, this is what you believed. You believed in his son, Jesus Christ. And I might add that when we do evangelize someone, the call to believe on Christ ought to be presented as a commandment. Notice that's what John says this is. This is his commandment that we believe. It is not a suggestion. It is a commandment. I love what the Apostle Paul told the philosophers on Mars Hill in Athens. He said, God commands men everywhere to repent. Yes, we invite people to Christ, and I understand that, but there's another sense in which it's not simply an invitation. It is a commandment. Come. Come to Christ. To not come to him is the worst of all sins. It dooms a person to hell. So John says to believe in Christ is God's commandment. So God's commandment, he says, is that we believe in his son, Jesus Christ, for salvation. Now, that took place the moment that we were saved. You may not know when that moment was exactly, but it took place the moment you were saved. However, although entering into salvation has a certain point, there, there was a point in time when you passed from death to life, it does have lasting results. It begins at a point in time, it has lasting results that affect the way we live. And that's why John mentions in the second part of this all-inclusive divine commandment is, he says, to love one another just as he commanded us. See, here's the point that John is making. And really, folks, it's the primary point of this entire section. Loving the brethren as Jesus commanded us to do is really just our faith in action. That's all. It's our faith in action. Loving others is the proof that we, at at a certain point in our lives, we did believe. We believe the gospel because those who have true faith in Christ express that faith by loving other Christians. Let me give you a verse for this that just kind of sums this up. Galatians chapter 5, notice verse 6. Paul says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. It means it doesn't matter for salvation. But he says what does matter is faith working through love. Faith working through love. And here's also in 1 John, love working through faith. And here's where John once again brings home the issue of assurance of our salvation as it relates to loving one another. Verse 24. The beginning of verse 24 says this, the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. Now let's stop here for a moment and see, what does John mean by this? The person who keeps God's commandments, meaning the one who believes in Christ and loves others who believe in Christ, that's what he's just said, that sums up his commandments. This person, he said, abides in him, him meaning either the Father or the Son, it really makes very little difference. I take it he means abides in Christ and Christ abides in him. 
So what does it mean to abide in Christ and have him abide in you? Essentially, what John means is that those who are saved have the most intimate spiritual relationship anyone can have with God. What, what a precious truth. We dwell in him and he dwells in us. In other words, we are in union, spiritual, somewhat mysterious, somewhat mystical union with Christ so that we couldn't be any closer or any more intimate with him than we are. This is precisely what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5. I know that you know this. I'll read it to you. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm in you, you're in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. It's what Paul said in Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You can't get any closer than that. So listen very closely. When John says that the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him, he doesn't mean, he doesn't mean that we have to keep obeying God's word if we hope to keep abiding in him. That's called work salvation. That's not what John is saying. It's not what scripture teaches. As if our relationship with him was dependent upon our obedience. And if we didn't obey, then we would lose our salvation. No, that's not what John is saying at all. What John is saying is that obeying God's commands and especially his commandment to love the brethren is the evidence that you are a believer and that you abide in Christ. You see, this is a verse about assurance of salvation. And he's saying, love others in Christ and it proves that you abide in Christ and he in you. It's just another way of saying you're saved. Nobody else abides in Christ but believers. And he doesn't abide in anyone else but believers. And the way that you know that you abide in him and that you're saved is explained in the last phrase of verse 24. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. John now mentions the spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit. In chapter 4, he'll speak more about the Holy Spirit. But for now, it's sufficient to say the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. There is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is given by the Father to everyone who comes to faith in Christ. Paul told the Corinthians, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to him. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. And what John tells us about the Holy Spirit in connection with the assurance of salvation is that we know by this, this looks back, I take it at obedience to the command to love others. We know by this, we know by this obedience to love others that Christ abides in us. That is, we know we're saved. We know you're saved. We're saved. We know by the fact that we do love the brethren, that we give evidence that we're saved. Now watch this. We know all of this, he says, by the Spirit whom he has given us. That is to say, it is by the Holy Spirit that God has given us that we have this assurance that we are in Christ and he in us. In other words, it is the Holy Spirit who has brought us to believe in Christ and it is the Holy Spirit who empowers us to love other Christians. Mark this well. It is only by the Holy Spirit working in your life that you have come to believe and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Look at 1 John 4, 1 through 2. See, he moves on to teach about this, but we'll just touch on it now. He says, Beloved, 
Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. If you confess Christ, it's because the Holy Spirit has worked in your life. He regenerated you. He opened your eyes. He brought you to an understanding, made you born again. And it is only by the Holy Spirit empowering you that you can love other Christians. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's love. So listen, if you have any love in your heart for believers and you demonstrate this love even though you fail so many times, then you know you're saved because you could not do this at all unless the Holy Spirit was in you empowering you to live this way. You just couldn't. You wouldn't want to. You see, as I said before, not only do unbelievers hate the brethren, but they have absolutely no capacity to love God's people. They have no interest, no capacity, because they don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. You know what all they have in them? They have a sin nature. That's it. And their hatred of God's children is the expression of that sin nature. But a true believer proves that he has an intimate relationship with Christ and he has been transformed by the Holy Spirit because now he does love the brethren. So if this is true of you, then take the assurance that God is offering you from his word. He's giving it to you. Settle the issue of doubts of salvation once and for all. God said it, believe it, settle the issue. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, may anyone and everyone here struggling with this issue finally rest in what your word has to say. Not in feelings, but in the truth. It's the truth that sets us free. Lord, I understand the turmoil that goes on in a heart that's not sure of salvation. So I pray that what has been taught these last few weeks will settle in our hearts this issue once and for all. I pray that the word would reign supreme because you are greater even than our hearts condemning us. Lord, you know all things. That's what John tells us. You are all-knowing. You know even when we sin that we have a heart that desires to obey. Even when we have wicked thoughts, we have a heart that says, I don't want those wicked thoughts. I want to do what's right. Even when we are self-focused, Lord, we have a heart that says, oh Lord, help us to be sensitive and loving to others. Lord, I pray that for for us as a congregation that you would help us to be a a church where no one has any needs, where, where we're always on the lookout for those who are hurting, that we are generous, that we look at our money as simply on loan from you, and to be used to minister for your kingdom and to help others who don't have as much as we do. I pray you'll help us to be thoughtful like that, sensitive, to to really take to heart what Jesus said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. We, We live in a world that only wants and wants and wants, and that's what our flesh does. We just want, but help us. Help us to be so disciplined as to give. May we have the heart of the Apostle Paul to be eager to give to the poor. 
We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A few years ago, I was visiting an old friend from college at his ranch in western Nebraska. I was helping him try to give an injection to one of the cattle. We were on foot in a large cattle pen, and he had lassoed her, but she ran away dragging the rope. We chased her round and round and back and forth, and finally Rick caught the rope, and he tried to wrap it around a fence post, but he wasn't quick enough. Before he got the rope tight on the post, she took up the slack and pulled it through his hands. I could see the dust mixed with bits of skin flying off the rope as I heard it zip through his hands. We finally did get the cow her medicine, but Rick's hands were badly burned because he didn't let go of the rope. When we hold on to our possessions too tightly, we can experience much the same result emotionally if God wants us to let go so that he can use them. Thanks for joining us today for Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff has been helping us through a wonderful section of Scripture, 1 John chapter 3, as we've looked at how to recognize the children of God. Today's class was the conclusion of a two-part sermon and of this series. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you'd like to order a free CD with the whole message, call Lakeside at 727-239-0306. Ask for message 8761, How to Recognize the Children of God, Part 10. That phone number again is 727-239-0306. And to go back and catch any of the programs in this series you might have missed, visit our website, Verse by Verse Radio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.